This Wednesday before Thanksgiving, let's talk turkey. Let's talk revelation. And let's talk about how those two things go together. This is The Deep End. Welcome, everybody, to a special Thanksgiving Eve edition of the Deep End Podcast, where we discuss the scriptures in a deeper way. I am your host, Tim Hatch, and I am so glad that you are joining us, whether you're on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or listening on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Welcome in. And would you also welcome into the studio with me today two Joshes. I'm not joshing. <laughs> Josh Daigle and Josh Pereira. Hello, guys. How How's it doing? going? How are you? Good. It's good, good to, to be you. here. Yes, yeah, good to have you back, Daigle. I know. It's been a while since I've been on the deep end. We're so. actually uh, we're um, auditioning you for Pereira's position. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> because last week he yawned during the teaching. <laughs> you yawned? I did. He yawned. I did. That's and that awful. was unacceptable. Yeah. Let's hope I don't He's yawn. hanging on by a thread over there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope I don't yawn today. <laughs> yes. So it is Thanksgiving Eve. I think I speak for many when I say Thanksgiving is the best day of the year. Do you think that? Yeah, I think so. It's is, it your, is it your favorite holiday? It's in the top three. Let us know in the comments. Is that your favorite holiday? What's your favorite holiday? Because I, I love Thanksgiving. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Top three. Top three. What would you put a top? What would you put number one, two, three? How would that go? Number one's Christmas for sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, See, when you have Christmas. kids, it drops precipitously. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas goes from like number one to like, please don't come around again. <laughs> when you have kids, because then it's all on you to purchase their happiness. <laughs> you know, but you guys are married without children. Yeah. And both of your wives work. They do. And so you guys work. You know what we call you guys? Dinks. 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 D-I-N-K-S. Uh, is Dual that, is income, that? no kids. <laughs> I thought dink was a derogatory term. No, it's a term. For, it's like yuppies, but it's for dinks. It's for people okay. with two incomes, no kids. Sounds like I want to be a dink. Yeah, we're, <laughs> well, we're you are. Dink, you dink are Josh's. Yeah. Just don't be dinky. <laughs> so, all right, it's Thanksgiving. I want to ask you guys as we before we get into like the serious stuff because it's always important to just have a little camaraderie here on the podcast. Uh, what is your favorite Thanksgiving moment, or his, what's your favorite Thanksgiving memory? Uh, Thanksgiving has always just been a time for family, man. You know, we get together at my uh, mm -hmm. my godmother's house, and there's probably about twenty or thirty. 30 is of the us. godfather there? He is, and he has a chair with a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and we all does he tell you, pay our respects. Does he tell you never to discuss business around the family? Team? Oh, yeah. 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 Don't, discuss, <laughs> don't discuss business around the family. You get whacked. <laughs> End up in the trunk. So you go to your godmother's house. Yeah. That's wonderful. And what about you, Josh Daigle? Yeah, same thing. You know, just I, I love spending time with, with, I have four younger siblings, so the holidays is always, you know, just a time we get to spend together, especially me and my, you know, the the next oldest below me. We're both moved out now, so it's cool. And we all get to get back together and yeah. just hang out. That's so, nice. Yeah, definitely that. Yeah. Well, my Thanksgivings were always a great time getting together with extended family. Half of my family was, I, my mother's half was Italian. So, of course, I don't have to tell you that. You, <laughs> Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, if you don't, if you're not Portuguese, be Italian. That's what I say. Yeah. Uh, but actually, if you're not Italian, be Portuguese. I know. I, I like the first one better. <laughs> got a lot of Portuguese people in the studio today. Uh, but I remember it was half American, half Italian. Sometimes that was great. And then uh, football out in the backyard. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that happened. Um, but the, you know, Thanksgiving. I just love Thanksgiving. And you know, th- the Bible talks about this a lot. To say. To give thanks for your own good. As you can see, all the turkeys there on the screen. <laughs> give thanks for your own good. Now, last year before Thanksgiving, I preached a message to our church called, For Your Sake, Give Thanks. Because there's so many scriptures about this. There's so many texts to tell us uh, why b- being thankful is good for you. And so I want to run down those points because sometimes you just need to be reminded about this stuff. So before you go and cut the turkey, before you go and stuff yourself with stuffing... Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about five reasons why you should give thanks. Number one, giving thanks is a perspective elevator. It elevates your perspective. Whatever you do, Colossians 3.17, do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Because what this is telling us is it's not about what you do, it's about how you do it. And when you do it, give thanks that you have the ability to do it. How many people don't have the ability to work? You hate your job. But wait a second. Did you drive there? You have a car. Did you sleep well last night? Did you sleep on a bed? How many people don't have a bed? It elevates your perspective, right? How blessed are we in America to just be able to do what we do, even if we don't like certain things and we aren't maybe living the dream that we were hoping for when we were kids, but still to have so many opportunities. So it, it elevates our perspective. Number two, giving thanks is an anxiety killer. And a lot of Christians need this because a lot of Christians are worried and stressed about things, especially on the holidays. Giving thanks is an anxiety killer. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So you don't just pray and you don't just say, oh God, help me. No, you say, first I say, thank you, God, that you are able to hear me, that you are willing to hear me and able to do something about what's going on in my life. And he says, let your request be made known to God and then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Thanksgiving is an anxiety killer. How many people, you cry out to God, you freak out, you worry and stress, but you never say, thank you, God, because I, at least I know that you are hearing me and that you are working all things together for my good. Amen. Right? Number three, Thanksgiving or giving thanks is an attitude changer. And I've always loved this passage in Psalm 9, 1 to 2. Look at what he says first. In verse 1, he says, I will give thanks, Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks, which means it is a deliberate decision to give thanks and then to the Lord with my whole heart. I will, and then he says, then I will do this. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. We used to sing that song, count your blessings, name them one by one, right? <laughs> That's where this comes from. I will recount all your wonderful deeds in the number two, verse two. Then he says, I will be glad and exalt in you. So notice the trajectory of the text because he says, I will give thanks and then I will recount your blessings or your deeds and then I will be glad. You can change your attitude. You can change your attitude. It begins with gratitude, and that changes your attitude. When you, are gra- uh, when, are, when you are grateful for the good things that God has done in your life, it ultimately leads to happiness. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just sat back and said, okay, Lord, I'm in a miserable mo- moment right now, but I need to just stop and say thank you. Yeah. And you start to list the things that you have to be thankful for. Yeah. You know, I think I think is the best way to start your prayers in the morning or in the evening, and just to say thank you, God, that today I have a new day. I am falling in love with mornings lately. I love mornings. I used to always like love to sleep in when I was a 
teenager when I was in my 20s, just sleep as late as I can. I'm learning how beautiful the morning is. Yeah, the definitely. morning is beautiful. This microphone is not beautiful, but the morning is beautiful. <laughs> and you just wake up and the first thing you say is, thank God, I have a new day. Thank God, the sun is coming up. Even if it's raining behind the clouds, there's a sun. And so you start to give thanks and it starts to change your attitude. Number four, giving thanks is a mind stabilizer. If you don't give thanks, you will go crazy. <laughs> this is from Romans chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul talks about the uh, decay of civilizations throughout human history. He's recounting how human beings who do not worship and give thanks to God, but rather worship the creation and look to the things that God can give us as their ultimate hope, ultimate joy, ultimate satisfaction, they turn into crazy people. This is true, right? Yeah. So give thanks as a mind stabilizer. Romans one twenty one. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. When they didn't give thanks, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, uh, it says they became fools. And then number five, finally, giving thanks is a God magnifier. And I love this verse, <laughs> Psalm 69, verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the tool that you use to magnify God in your life. Did you know that you can minimize God in your life or you can magnify God in your life? This is up to you. The ball is in your court. What are you doing right now? What are you focusing on? What are you saying to other people about your life? Are you talking about how everything stinks, how everything's bad, how so many things might happen to you, how many things you have to worry about, how much money you don't have, how much things you wish you had, where you wish you lived, where you, who you wish you dated, whatever. Instead of saying, I'm going to magnify God, I'm going to magnify his goodness, I'm going to magnify his grace to me, I'm going to magnify that he loves me, he has a plan for me, and you start to do that and starts to change your um your life because God becomes bigger in your life. And so those are the five points. I hope they help you. And I hope that before you cut the turkey tomorrow, uh, that you think about these things and that you start to really not just have a Thanksgiving holiday, but that you have a Thanksgiving way of life. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. I think I think that was good. That was good yeah. stuff. Definitely. <laughs> A plus. A plus. Uh, oh, oh, no right. yawns from this yeah, side of the room. Yeah, definitely That's no good. No yawns. That. What do you know? So far, so good. Of course, it's early <laughs> on in the podcast. Um, <laughs> Jeremy is joining us in the studio. Hello, Jeremy. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, and Maddie's over there, too. Yeah. We don't want to ignore Maddie. Hi, Maddie. Uh, <laughs> but she's always here. <laughs> Hi, Maddie. <laughs> Maddie. Uh, Jer Jeremy is here from Fox 25. He's uh, stepped up today from Fox 25 to the Deep End studio. <laughs> That's right. It's a step, step up. up. Step up. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jeremy, yes. favorite Thanksgiving memory? Uh, probably like 92-ish. My uncle my, from my dad's side came <laughs> with his daughter, and uh, I remember they brought a camcorder. It was like big in those days, and she like filmed the whole weekend. Yeah. Like, and then we had a big football game in the backyard, like you were mentioning. I remember because we would go back and watch the tape and like this, the dumb stuff we did. And I remember my dad wanted us to do this one play on defense where we just – jumped up and down and yelled like we didn't move we just jumped up and down and yelled <laughs> yeah. and it actually worked it, it worked them, they like dropped the pass and wide open and stuff so like that was yeah. my favorite yeah the freak them out defense yes the freak I, I believe the patriots that's what they call that the freak them out defense <laughs> football on thanksgiving is a must i think got you it. know if you got a good family if you got a big family and you're all adults and stuff like that or you know teenagers and above whatever playing some football in the backyard that's that's great 
Maddie, what's your favorite Thanksgiving? You got to go over the microphone. <laughs> Put her on the spot over here. Favorite Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, well, going back to what you were saying about like being Portuguese and like Italian. Well, I'm Portuguese, so it's like always a good time. All right. So I just, yeah. I don't have a specific memory. Yeah. But always a good time with family. Always a good time. Yeah, that's good. Good food, good laughs. Yeah. Go Portuguese. Go, <laughs> go Italians. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only like 42 percent of Italians. So What's the other? Uh, everything percentage? else. Everything else. Oh, you're my. my well, I, my my sister did the twenty uh, three and Me thing. Yeah, yeah. And oh, she, she yeah, she came back. I think I forget what she said. She's something um, Balkan. I want to say Balkan. What is that? <laughs> Which I didn't even know. From the Balkan area, the Balkan Islands. I don't know where that is. But anyway, there's like 5% of that in us or 6% of that in us and whatever. And there was like 1% African-American. African, really? Not African-American, African. African. Yeah. Really? Yeah. 1%? 1%. Wow, look at yes. that. So. Quite the difference. I'm yeah. biracial. <laughs> Barely, but I am. Anyway. Well, Cheryl, Cheryl is African too. So. Yeah, she's African-American. She was not even born in America. By the way, I think Balkan is uh, in Norway. Um, oh, is that where it is? I think so, yeah. Okay, no, and by should. and African American Cheryl is white. <laughs> Just so anybody <laughs> listening doesn't know my wife, I don't want to mislead people. And then, like years later, they see a picture of us. They say, "Hey, what's up with that?" He said he was, she was African American. Okay, she's from South Africa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I have a recommendation. Let's roll it. Okay, so I, I, I mentioned this weekend at our church about something coming up in Waters Church, North Attleboro, called Night to Shine, February 8th, 2019, where we are hosting uh, people with special needs for a special night for them. It's all about them, celebrating them, telling them they matter, telling them that they're not invisible, telling them that God loves them. And uh, so it's like a prom, and we're going to deck out the entire building over here in uh, North Attleboro, Massachusetts, but we're going to like you know, really red carpet affair for them. Limos, um, it's, you know, dress up, all that kind of stuff. Great food. Yeah. Um, I think there's a shoe polish station. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a, a shoe sign station. There's a um, hair and makeup station. There's all kinds of things. Uh, because people with special needs matter, and they matter to God. Yeah, and because they matter to God, they matter to us, right? Yeah, definitely. So there's this campaign that's out, which this video is actually stirring a lot of controversy. Um, and it's this campaign, Down Syndrome people, or people with Down Syndrome, we should rather say that, people with Down Syndrome, who are dressed up as endangered animals, and they are saying something very profound. And uh, this, this is a very controversial video for reasons that you probably can understand if you're a Christian. So let's roll this video. Watch this. You're probably wondering why I'm dressed like a polar bear. Or a lion. Or a panda. Is it because I'm strong? Roar! Because I'm beautiful? Nope. It's because like some animals, people with Down syndrome, people like me, are endangered. That's why we're applying to be the first. People. People. People on the endangered list. Jobs are scarce. And our community is shrinking. We have to fight. For education. We need support. Like all these animals do. They make the world a more beautiful place. And so do we. Sign our petition at endangeredsyndrome.com.
So I recommend you go there. <laughs> Somebody give me a pen. I'm signing. <laughs> yeah. That's well, the great. way you sign, you have to sign by sharing it on Facebook, Twitter, or some, somewhere else. And I did it already this morning. I challenge you to do it. And I would speak to my millennial brothers and sisters, my younger Christian brothers and sisters who are all about social justice. And you are all about social justice. And I love that. I love the fact that you're all about you know, equal pay. I'm, I love the fact that you're all about equal rights. I, I love that. Wonderful. But here's an opportunity for you to actually do something that is Christian-based as well, which is to see the value of people who have this condition. It doesn't make them less human, and it doesn't make them less valuable. Why don't you, as a millennial Christian, you know, because I think that's one of the things that frustrates me about the younger generation is that they tend to, they buy into the social justice, but only one side of it, the side that the, the unbeliever approves of. This is not going to be one of those areas where the unbeliever says, oh, yeah, good for you, social justice. This is going to be one that challenges the social justice mantras of our, year. If we're going to, of our age. If we're going to be social justice warriors, we should be social justice warriors for everybody. Yeah, you know? definitely. You know, that includes these wonderful people, these wonderful humans made in the image of God. And we got to be the church in all areas, even when that's uncomfortable, even when it's not approved of by the popular kids in culture. Like, let's do it. All right. Anyway, so yeah. endangered, um, what was the website again? Endangered. Uh, EndangeredSyndrome.com. And endangered. I actually just shared it. Yes, fantastic. EndangeredSyndrome.com. Go there, please. On your Twitter, on your Facebook, do it. It's a Canadian organization, but who cares? You know, we're, all, <laughs> we're all humans. We're all humans, and we're all part of the North American continent. Okay. Let's get into... The Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation. Okay, so we are doing really well on time, which means I have tons of time to talk about the Revelation scripture here. This is fantastic. Get ready for a long-winded talk. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It'll be short. Uh, we have talked about six of the seven churches, and because we did Thanksgiving already, and it's Thanksgiving special, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a, a shorter talk today because we're going to talk about one church. So we talked about Ephesus, which was the successfully apathetic church. Jesus says, um, you've lost your first love, and then he says, repent and do the things that you did at first. You know, get back to a living, loving relationship with me. Then Smyrna which is the poor but rich church that, you know, they were struggling, they were being persecuted. We did Pergamum, which they were just starting to tolerate some immorality in their life, in their church. Thyatira, which we did last week, talked about them. They didn't tolerate immorality. They taught immorality. That's a bad place to be as a church. Uh, and then Sardis, because, uh, not, not because, Sardis was the church that had the reputation of being alive, but they were dead. And then last week, last, we, we left off with Philadelphia, the church... Um, with the cheesesteaks, no, uh, the church, <laughs> church with good cheesesteaks, uh, the church of the open door, a persecuted church as well, but they um, were not taking advantage of the open door that God had given them to be his light in a dark place. And so that brings us to the last church in the book of Revelation, and it is not a happy place. It is... Uh, one of the harshest moments uh, in Scripture, one of the darkest moments in Scripture, and one of Jesus' harshest words for uh, the church at any time and in any place. Of course, I'm talking to you today about the church in Laodicea. Mm -hmm. Even the name Laodicea just brings up the lukewarm mindset, right? You know, I mean, yep. how many of you guys have heard about <laughs> the lukewarm Christians and Jesus is going to spit you out of his <laughs> mouth and... 
some Christians say, I didn't even know I was in Jesus' mouth. <laughs> it's been giving that. me nightmares since I was 12 years old. Man. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, if you were raised Pentecostal dispensational, which I was, and if that doesn't, those two terms don't mean anything to you, don't worry. Uh, basically, what it meant was we believe that there was church ages uh, church ages throughout history. So there was the age of innocence, Adam and Eve. There was the age of sin or fall, which was from Adam and Eve, chapter three of Genesis, on to Abraham. The age of um, uh, uh, the Abrahamic covenant. Then the age. Oh, sorry, I skipped Noah, which was the was the age of civil government instituted. The age of Abraham. Then the age of um, law under Moses, then the age of grace under Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Now we're under the age of church, still the age of grace. And then we're going to be looking toward the last days. Like that's the final days. And every time what I heard Revelation taught, I was told that we were the church in Laodicea. <laughs> so, you know, this brings back some bad memories for me too, because it's like, oh no, you know, of course we're the worst church out of the seven, you know. And and this is the one church that Jesus has nothing good to say about. Like he's got nothing. All the other churches, like, I I think I'm thankful that you got this going on, but I got this against you. I thank you that you're over here doing this well, but you're not doing that well. Laodicea, nothing. <laughs> you all stink. You're all terrible. And so I was always taught as a dispensational Pentecostal that we were the Laodiceans and shame on us and we're lukewarm. And if you don't watch out, you're going to get spit out. And so, you know, it creates a lot of anxiety in the hearts of <laughs> people. Let's not do that today. Let's, let's bring hope through the, <laughs> the teaching, the words of Jesus to Laodicea. So what does he say? Verse 14 to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. He says, I know your works. Uh, you are neither hot, oh, sorry, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. Not exciting. Not an exciting church to be in. No. (laughs) Okay. Well, what is Jesus saying? And and I'm going to take on a common misconception of the whole would that you were either cold or hot statement that Jesus makes in verse 15. Because There's a lot of Christians that take that the wrong way. Jesus is saying, first, I am the amen. He says, I am the faithful and the beginning of God's creation. This is an important designation and title that Jesus gives himself to the Laodiceans for a specific reason. Because Jesus is saying, I am the one who created everything. And the Laodicean problem was they believed that because they had it so good, so because they were so wealthy, because they were so well off, They didn't need anything. And what Jesus is saying is, don't you understand that everything that you have, which makes you think you don't need anything, is actually yours because I made it. (laughs) That's an important thing. And it's an important lesson for Christians who are well-off in our world. And you say, well, good thing I'm not a well-off Christian. Okay, pause, because if you're an American Christian, you are already a well-off Christian, even a lower middle class, even a poor Christian in America is rich by comparison to the other nations of the world by far. We have it so good, we don't even realize how good we have it. 
Um, I say this to our church regularly. All you need to do is spend a weekend in another country. <laughs> and you will come back and you will thank God you are an American. <laughs> you will. I, say, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago. Got a lot of laughs. I said, every time I go out of the country and I come back, I do two things. I kiss the physical ground of America. <laughs> yeah. And then I go get a nice coffee. <laughs> Dunkin' because, Donuts. Yeah. Oh, ooh, don't, don't say the name because they're, they're not paying advertising dollars yet. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we, 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 need, a, we need some sponsorships, man. Yes. Un, yeah, unnamed <laughs> coffee facility well-known throughout the New England area. Take I'll let you <laughs> judge which one it is. Take anyway. my money. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I go and I kiss the ground and then I go get a coffee because there is nothing like this country. But why is this country so blessed? Because this country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. I don't care what they're teaching in the high schools and college, colleges of America today. They're rewriting history uh, to our own demise. This country was founded first by pilgrims who wanted to establish a nation where there was freedom of religion um, and they wanted to escape religious persecution and they also wanted to escape and a lot of people don't know this where did the pilgrims come from what country did they come from anybody anybody Bueller Bueller okay they did not come from England they came from Holland they came from Holland, and they wanted to not only get to a country where they wouldn't be persecuted for their faith, they wanted to get to a country where their children would not be um, uh, tempted by immorality, which they saw increasing around them in the nation of Holland, which, was, which is interesting. Yeah. Like People don't understand this. So the very fact that there is a nation such as America where Christianity is so, by and large, the largest religion and, and faith and worldview of the people that people, uh, people don't understand. Uh, the benefits that we are enjoying today, we are enjoying today because of the foundation of Christian principles in our country. Yeah. When I was in high school, we used to sing the Hallelujah Chorus for our winter concert. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys, you guys probably didn't have that experience because the- went to private school. Oh, you went to <laughs> private school. Well, anyway. <laughs> I went to public school. They go was homeschool in the nineteen seven in the nineteen eighties and nineties. I was in uh, yeah, homeschool. That's right. You were homeschooled. Not a, I'm not talking to high a, school. Yeah, he was singing the Hallelujah chorus. All right. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> My living room. <laughs> What's wrong with homeschooling here? Huh? Nothing's wrong with that. Okay. Don't want to demise the homeschool. I went to high school and I was in the chorus, but I never sang the Hallelujah chorus. Okay. Well, we did. And so the reason why we did was because this anti-Christian sentiment that has been rising in our country since the 1960s did not exist to that extent where they got rid of every single mention of the Lord or God from the public schools. Like we used to sing the Hallelujah Chorus in our concert and people loved it and nobody complained. And then suddenly some one atheist somewhere said, that's a, separate, uh, it's a violation of the First Amendment, separation of church and state. And so all schools almost everywhere, and this is happening regularly everywhere, um, prayer is being banned. There was, a there was a high school football coach uh, in Texas who was um, suspended because he prayed on the field before football games, privately, not asking the team to pray, not asking anybody else to join him. He alone praying on the football field, and he lost his, his job for a season because he prayed on a football field in a high school. <laughs> this is insanity. What is going on in our country? There, what is going on is there is a spiritual attack. Remember I said about Revelation, Revelation is going to help us see what is most real. There is a spiritual attack against any vestige of Christian faith on the public space. And that's a bad thing. 
because we are Christians and we have the right to practice our faith in public spaces. <laughs> I'm not asking for a monument to Jesus on the public grounds of our town. I'm not asking for that. What I am asking, though, and I am expecting as a, as a taxpaying citizen, is the right to express my religion as I see fit in the public sphere. Amen. I'm not telling anybody else that they have to do it. I'm saying that I have the right to do it. That's why, as Christians, we have to step up and say something. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say something because you feel like you're all alone, but you're not. And I think that Christians need to do a better job of this. We need to go to those PTA meetings. We need to go to those town councils. We need to go and we need to say something. We need to open our mouths and say something as Christians because we have that right, right? The freedom of speech. And so often the church has been so willing to acquiesce to the complaining non-believers out there and we've allowed them to convince us that it's actually right for us to go closet ourselves in our little Christian subculture and not affect anything in the world. That is baloney, and it's a lie from Satan. We are salt and light. Talked about this last week at the at Water Church, but we are salt and light. We should go out there and make a difference and be unashamed to live out our faith. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. How did I get on that? That's a tangent. But uh, let's get back to what I was talking about because the church of Laodicea, uh, oh, that's right. They were so wealthy that they let it go to their heads and they started to say, and look what he says in verse 17, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing, Jesus says, you are wretched, you are pitiable, you are poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Okay? So let's talk about first the fact that they are lukewarm. What does he mean? Well, think about water. And, 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 and I want to address something, because there are some Christians, case in point, I had a conversation with a Christian in our church recently, <laughs> a young man, one of these millennial believers <laughs> who need to step up their game. No, um, he, he was, and this guy is like kind of wandering away from the Lord, and I could see it, so I asked him, and, and his statement to me was, well, you know how Jesus says that he would rather us be hot or cold? And he says, since I'm not hot, I guess I should just be cold. Because after all, that's what Jesus wants. What a ludicrous statement. Yeah. And, and a, what, a, what a deception that the enemy has brought into this young man's life because that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is yeah. not saying, hey, either be really hot and totally in love with me or be totally not in love with me. Because if you're in the middle, I can't stand that. That's, that would be against everything that Jesus is about. Yeah. You know, Jesus is willing to be patient with us in our struggles. He is willing to work with us in our doubts. The man that comes to Jesus with the son who's demon-possessed comes to Jesus and says, I asked your disciples to cast out the demon out of my son, but they couldn't. And he says, can you do it? And he says, do you believe I'm able to do this? And the guy says to Jesus, the guy is standing in front of Jesus Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. In other words, I believe, but I have doubts. And does Jesus say, oh, you have doubts? Well, I wish you were cold in that case. No, he says uh, to the demon, get out of the boy. And the demon is cast out. And even in spite of the man's doubts, even in spite of the fact that the guy knew he had doubts, Jesus still helped him, which is totally awesome news for the doubting Christians out there. As you struggle and as you work out your faith, no, God does not expect you to have everything all together all the time and totally always be 100% in love with him because that's almost impossible in a fallen world. We're going to go through dry seasons. We're going to go through some cold seasons. We're going to go through some wandering seasons, but yeah. the Lord is faithful to his own and he brings us back. He brings us back. And that is, that is a good word for somebody here today. Yeah, but definitely. 
this idea of whole, um, when Jesus says, would that you were either cold or hot, think about water, Josh's, you know, <laughs> because you, you have hot water, which we use for things like coffee. Amen. Right? <laughs> and we use for things like boiling water, uh, yeah. boiling uh, vegetables, boiling, <clears throat> you know, tomorrow you're probably going to boil some peas or yeah. some corn or some carrots, yeah. peas and carrots. Hopefully not like Forrest and <laughs> Forrest and his girlfriend there. What was her name? What was Forrest Jenny. 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 Uh, Jenny. Peace and cares. All right. So then you have hot water is useful. Cold water is useful, right? Yeah. Because cold water you have you use that for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and we are on a coffee kick today. Yeah. You, you use that for washing. You use that for. Um, uh, cooling down. You use that when when you go and you play sports or you run around. Then you drink some cold water. Nothing's more refreshing than cold water, right? Yeah. And what what Jesus is saying is, I want you useful. But if you're gonna do this thing where you're um, you're gonna just kind of like think that you're all you know on your own, you're completely self sufficient. That's the attitude Jesus is taking on you. Please note that. Jesus is taking on the attitude in Laodicea of self-sufficiency. He is not taking on the attitude of, well, you're, not, you're just not in love with me. You're just not hot for me. And so therefore I spit you up. No, he's not doing that. He's not taking on the lack of fervent love for, the, for him. He is taking on the attitude of self-sufficiency. To say as a Christian, to say as a church, or to say as a body of believers, um, well, I'm all set, Lord. Uh, you can worry about other people. I will do this myself. When you get to that place as a Christian, watch out because that is a that is a dangerous place for any Christian to get to. Does that make sense? Yeah. So many so many people misinterpret the Laodicea teaching. So many people think it's about, I know I'm one of those lukewarm Christians because I'm just not totally hot for Jesus right now. I get that. I go through seasons like that and I'm a pastor. Right, and so if I know I'm doing that, sometimes I know that there are some people who are not pastors doing that. The point that Jesus is making is: depend on me. Don't get so sufficient. Don't get so self-sufficient that you think because you got all these things going on, you're awesome and you don't need me. No, 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 no. Let's talk about Laodicea for 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 more um, understanding of what he's t- what he's addressing here. The the city of Laodicea was located at the intersection of three major trade routes. Um, so it was a place of great financial and marketplace industry. It was a banking center for Asia Minor. Uh, It was um, the capital city for 10 surrounding towns in Asia Minor. And then it was the home of uh, the black wool industry, very expensive and rare black wool of the ancient world. It was the home of a world-renowned medical school, and it was the home of an eye and ear salve or medicine that they would use and it would cure ailments in people's physical bodies in their eyes and their ears. Now think about that because this is cool, right? Mm. This is Laodicea. Laodicea is, would be a city. And actually, there's actually, a, um, we know this historically. In Laodicea, there was an earthquake in AD 60. And the earthquake didn't just affect Laodicea. It affected surrounding towns. All the other surrounding towns asked for help from the emperor in Rome Laodicea was the one city that said, no, thank you. We don't need your help. We will build our city ourselves. Mm -hmm. The pride, the arrogance, the self-sufficiency. Well, that attitude in the city of Laodicea got into the church at Laodicea. And it is one of the things that, and it is is the attitude that Jesus takes on here saying, you you think you don't need anybody and and you have also said 
you maybe not even you, you you may not have said this verbally, but you have said this in your spirit. I don't even need the Lord. I'm good. I'm good on my own. <laughs> How many people in America say the same thing? I'm yeah. a good person. I'm good. I'm good without God. I'm fine. Let them worry about poor people in Haiti. I'm, I'm good. No, that's lukewarm. That's unusefulness. Why is it that Jesus, not Jesus, well, yes, Jesus, but <laughs> the Lord, right, God, throughout, throughout the scripture history, always uses the people who need him to show up the most, Right? He doesn't use Moses when Moses is in the palace with Pharaoh. That's not when God uses him. When does God use Moses? When he's actually lived 40 years in the middle of nowhere caring for somebody else's sheep, and he's a nobody, and he's outcast, and nobody knows who he is anymore. That's when God says, now I can use you yeah. because now you need me. When does God use David? David is the kid who his father doesn't even think is king-worthy. David is the kid who King Saul thinks is not able to fight Goliath. David is the kid who his brothers despise, and that's the one that God uses. Who does God use? He uses Peter, the bumbling, fumbling fisherman. He uses Matthew, the rejected, hated, outcast tax collector. He uses Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons inside of her. I mean, I think about how many people today would we put our confidence in if they had seven demons at one point and they got healed of them, but we'd always in the back of our minds say, well, you know, at least they're saved. No, God uses Mary Magdalene to be the first person to see him risen from the dead and to share that message with his 12, 11, 11 disciples. Judas had hanged himself. So you think about this. Who does God use? God uses the people who know they need God, they need the Lord to step up and do something in order for them to be useful. Yeah. And that's what he is saying to Laodicea. Your problem, Laodicea, is that you think, and here's it in verse 17 again, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments that you may clothe yourselves. So not black wool, white garments. Not what you can do in your own strength, in your own goodness. Not that, but white garments. Black wool represents, in this passage, I think represents works righteousness. I'm going to get to heaven because I've helped some people. I'm going to get to heaven because I, I've done some good stuff in my life. I'm going to get to heaven because... No, 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 no. That's self-reliance. That is works righteousness, and it doesn't make the cut, okay? We need what God can give us by grace. We need the white garments that Jesus can give us and clothe us with his, his righteousness. And then he says, to, uh, clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And look at what he says lastly, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may be, so that you may see. Now I think about this. Laodicea was the medical capital of the ancient world. How, 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 how ironic that Boston, Massachusetts, <laughs> in many respects, is the medical capital of the world today. Yeah. And I think about that. That's New England's problem. This is New England. I'm a New England Christian. I'm a New England pastor. I see this all the time. I see this everywhere in this country, in this part of the country. Self-reliance. I'm, yeah. I'm a good person. I'm good without God. I've done right. I've done well. And, and this is a classic line. When I get to heaven, I'll, I'll just explain myself to God. <laughs> Like, you know, God, God understands. God sees my heart. No, God does see your heart. He sees that you are, apart from him, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. You need him. You need to... No, no, no. Let me, let me say it like this. You need to need him. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. You need to get to that point where you realize that without him, you have no shot. You have nothing to offer the world. But with him, God can do amazing things. With you, God can change the world. This is the problem of Laodicea. I call it affluenza. <laughs> it is a sickness in America today. Affluenza. We have it so good. And we have it so good. Why? Because of the Judeo-Christian ethic that has undergirded our society for 300 years, for 400 years, if you count the pilgrims landing in 1620, right? We have had it so good for so long, we forget why it is so good. And now we are on the precipice in this country of saying everything to do with Christianity, everything to do with the Christian God, we need to get this out of our culture because it is harmful and dangerous. And then we see the rise of anxiety, the rise of suicides, the rise of children with no purpose, no sense, the rise of opioid overdose, the rise of divorce, the rise of the breakdown of the family of one man, one woman raising children for life. We see the rise of all these, these small little destructive things happening in our culture right now. And our country says, why, why, why? Hello, this is why. Because we have spent a generation telling our children that they descend from monkeys and they don't matter. Yeah. And then we wonder why they kill themselves and kill each other. Yeah. Like the, in my day, and I, you know, I said this a few months ago at our church, which was I went to high school my entire high school life. Never once did I ever think that there would be a public shooting. Never once did I ever thought I would get shot at at my school. Yeah. And today it happens once every month in our, in our country. Today. That's today. Yeah. Where's it going to be in 20 years? Where's it going to be in 40 years in America? God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us. Jesus warned regularly in the scriptures that the number one um, opponent for the affection of our hearts would be money, would be wealth, would be increase. He says in Luke 12, 15, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot love God and you cannot, and you cannot serve God and money. You're going to be devoted to one or the other. Matthew 19, 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I say to you with difficulty, a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. It is difficult for someone who feels like they have their life totally all together because of how they have earned and acquired and possessed and lived good. It is difficult for them to really see their need for God. And the one thing that gets in our way, the one thing that gets in most people's way between them and God is their stuff, their money, their accomplishments. We cannot get to heaven on our accomplishments. We get to heaven by God's amazing grace, undeserved, unmerited favor. And so watch out for this because this is the Laodicean problem. It is not that they go through times of mediocre faith. It is not that they go through times where they have doubts and fears and and they go through those little spiritual dry areas. We all go through that, Christian. We all go through that. It is self-reliance. That's what God does not want for you. He wants you to rely on him because when you rely on him, he will do greater things than you can possibly imagine. That great passage from Ephesians 3.20, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. You and God can do way more and way more good and way more benefit for society than just you on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Let's close out Laodicea here, verse 19. He says, those whom I love, okay? Those whom I love, uh, I rebuke and I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? What I love about the last words of Jesus to Laodicea is this. Even in spite of the things that they're really struggling with, the self-sufficiency. Guess what Jesus says? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the good news of the gospel. Even yeah. in your self-sufficiency, Jesus says, I love you enough to tell you, knock it off. Yeah. And that's what a father does, right? That's what I do with my kids. I, you, you love them enough to discipline them. You love them enough, and I know this is not popular today, but I love my children enough to spank them when they deserve a spanking. Amen. <laughs> you know, um, you know, you got to be careful when you recommend spanking in church because there's a lot of hotheads out there that really shouldn't spank because they don't know how to control themselves. Yeah. But I'm talking about disciplined fathers who know how to spank rightly, yeah. not abuse your child, right? But because I love my children, I will tell them to knock it off in a very stern and frank manner. And they may not like it at the time, but it's my sign to them that I love them. The scripture says in Proverbs that he who withholds the discipline or the rod from his son hates him. Yeah. To be not disciplined by the Lord is actually to be rejected by the Lord. So he says, I love you. And then he says, and I'm knocking. Can we get that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you, actually, he doesn't even say on the door of your heart. That's a euphemism from America. I knock on the door of the church. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come into you and I will eat with you, fellowship with you. You will share that intimacy with me and that intimacy will empower you to do greater things than you can possibly imagine. So even in our self-reliance, even in our arrogance, the Lord is calling out to us and asking us to let him in. Yeah. That's the hope of Laodicea. It's not all bad. Yeah. Okay. So those are the seven churches. And uh, let's go over the whiteboard here real quick because I want to just remind us that these seven churches... Uh, in Asia Minor. I want you to look at the map again here, and you've got John here on the Isle of Patmos. He sends this letter to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. This is the, or I told you this a couple weeks ago, it's the um, mail route for the ancient world in Asia Minor. And so the question that we have today, and we're going to close out the podcast with this, is will we learn from these churches? Will we get back to our first love? Will we be faithful unto death? Will we, um, like Pergamos, purge and repent of the immorality we're tolerating? Will we, in Thyatira, turn away from those who are leading us astray as a church, the false prophets, false teachers, who lead the church into sexual morality and paganism? Will we awaken, the church in Sardis needs to wake up and get back to the things that we were doing before. Philadelphia, will we take advantage of the open door that God sets before us in Laodicea? Will we rely on God? And that's the seven churches uh, that God addresses here in Revelation for a reason. Because the church today uh, needs to hear the book of Revelation. Um, but first they need to see where are we in those seven churches. So we spent a lot of time talking about those seven churches because it matters. And here's why it matters. Let's talk about Christianity in Asia Minor today. Okay, this is very important. And if you stayed on the podcast long enough to listen to this, you're going to be glad you did. Today, Asia Minor is not called Asia Minor. It's called Turkey. And Turkey today is 99% 
Muslim. Wow. I want you to think about the churches, the cities where Christianity was thriving at the time of the writing of Revelation is today a shadow of what it was. These, these messages that the church has received in these seven cities, right? It is 99% Muslim. I want to put a little chart up here on the screen for you. This pie chart, the green represents the Sunni Muslim population. The light green represents the Shiite Muslim population. The, if you can even see these slices, the uh, pink, that's the Quranist Muslim. Muslims, like Christians, have a lot of denominations. The uh, dark blue there is the spiritual but not religious. Those would be, you know, whatever. <laughs> the, anything Luke goes. Muslims? No, 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 no. Those would be, <laughs> those would be, the, those would be just the people who say, I'm spiritual. They, there's a lot of people like that in America. I'm spiritual, not religious. They don't want to be a Christian, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, nothing. They just want to be spiritual. Then there's uh, very light blue, the Turkish Jews. That's 0.5% of the population. The Turkish Jewish people were one of the dominant populations in Asia Minor in the first century. Now today, they are 0.5% of the population. And then others is the very thin slice of red. You can't even see it probably on your screen. That's others. So anybody that doesn't fit into any religious category. And then look at the, <laughs> the last one on the list, 0.2% Christians. Today, in, in the very cities where God was challenging his church, Wake up. Get back to me. Don't forsake your first love. Don't tolerate immorality. Don't teach immorality. Don't rely on yourself. They didn't hear. They didn't listen. They didn't take the message seriously. And today, that nation is dominated by Islam. And you say, oh, well, what's wrong with Islam? I'll tell you what's wrong with Islam. In this country, specifically in Turkey, one of the least religiously tolerant nations on the earth. If you're not Muslim... You got no rights. You got no rights. So, ironically, we're talking about these seven churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. We know this from just a couple of weeks ago. The last couple of months, this story has dominated the news, right? There's this pastor who was imprisoned in Turkey. His name was Andrew Brunson. You guys heard about this guy? Yep. Andrew Brunson. In Turkey. Okay, he was just released thanks to the good work of Mike Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, and President Donald Trump. Thank you for the work to release this man. He was imprisoned for 24 months um, with, because of false charges of conspiracy. What happened was he went to some registry to just fill out some registration thing as a citizen of the country, yeah. and they arrested him on site, took him away from his family, took him away from his wife, and for 24 months he sat in a Turkish prison, pr prison for nothing. <laughs> this guy is a Presbyterian pastor, um, his congregation was 24 people, and he has been pastoring there for 23 years. I can't imagine that kind of faithfulness. That kind of faithfulness, man, <laughs> hats off. Because to, to, to work in a darkened nation like that, a nation that really doesn't want you, and to faithfully pastor 24 Christians in that country um, for 23 years. By the way, in the Turkish city of Izmir, which... The Bible, the book of Revelation, calls Smyrna. And what was the church in Smyrna going through over there on the whiteboard? They were the church that was struggling. They were being persecuted for their faith. Yeah. And they were going to be tested for 10 days. And here today, even today, 2,000 years later, <laughs> these, these teachings in Revelation still have ramifications for us today. And uh, 
Andrew Brunson back with his home, uh, back with his family in his home country in America, and and thank God that he is back. But my question to you, American <clears throat> Christian, is: Will we learn from these letters before we jump into the? Who's the Antichrist and the dictator beast and what nations are going to be part of the 10 nation alliance and all this stuff? And when is the tribulation and when is the rapture and what's the millennium and all that kind of stuff? Before we talk about any of that stuff, because it all is important, it is very important, we need to check our hearts and we need to say, Lord, wake us up as your church. Lord, help us to be the church you want us to be. Help us to rely on you. Help us to love you. Help us to come back to you and be, and be useful in your hand because America needs Christ. It is a slow fade. It was a slow fade for the first century church to fade away from Christianity. It is a slow fade in Europe right now. I think about Europe as the birthplace of the Reformation. The reason why we are not Catholics today, the reason why we are not Catholics in this room right now is because of the Reformation. That took place in um, Germany. That took place in Europe. And Europe was was the bastion of Christian theology for four centuries. And today, the Muslim population once again, slowly rising in Europe. Today, 8% of France is Muslim. Uh, 6% of England is Muslim. There was a recent election, I think it was in Sweden, uh, 27% of the voters were Muslim. And that's not because it's 27% Muslim in Sweden, it's because Muslims are, are uh, vigilant, active, dedicated, and they absolutely want to turn these traditionally con- Christian countries that enjoy freedoms that we all enjoy in America today, they want to turn them into Muslim strongholds just as they've done throughout Northern Africa and the Middle East. And it is a danger that we don't see coming. Do you know why we don't see coming? Because it is a slow fade. It is a slow fade away. Will America wake up? I don't know. Will our country get back to God and say, yes, we need you? I don't know. After 9-11, I don't know, Jeremy, you probably remember this, but after 9-11, people came back to church in droves for two weeks. (laughs) And then they slowly faded back away because, you know, we we need, we, we have a hard time staying faithful. The good news is for those who hear his voice, as he says in Laodicea, for those who open the door, Jesus comes in, and no matter what happens in the, in the secular world, no matter what happens in our government, the Lord has a purpose, and the Lord has a plan, and the Lord can use you to make a difference in people's lives. I hope that we do learn. I hope that we wake up, and I hope that as we venture into Revelation further from here, we take these words seriously, and we learn from them, because we are blessed if we do. Amen. 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 All right. Have a question, have a thought. We love your questions. And by the way, we have seen them come in the last few weeks. I know we haven't done an Ask Anything segment. We will do it. Maybe next week we'll do an Ask Anything segment. So 508-316-9333. If you want to anonymously ask a question of the deep end, please send your questions in. Um, The more relevant to the discussion the question is, the more likely they are to be on the podcast. Uh, Always... I recommend that you subscribe to The Deep End, facebook.com slash TheDeepEndTV, youtube.com slash waterschurch. Check out The Deep End channel. Uh, there is also a video on how to subscribe to The Deep End. I think it's on our Instagram page. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, and follow us, if all that doesn't make sense to you, at TheDeepEnd.tv on your favorite web browser. That will lead you to everywhere that you need to go to find the deep end. I'm so glad that you joined us. Happy Thanksgiving. Don't eat too much. And on Black Friday, don't spend too much, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) Okay. God bless you. This was the the Deep End.